Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the year that was dot dot dot. I am your host, Aaron Maxson, along with Mark Brew. Yo, 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 yo. And my Melissa uh, Tractor brother, Nate. Hello, everybody. Um, he's not less attractive. We look kind of the same, so he's equally attractive. But anyway, not that I'm attracted to my brother. <laughs> Whoa. Ladies and gentlemen. Long um, turn to Alabama, right off the yeah. <laughs> But anyway, um, if you guys and gals that are listening to the show do not know what this show is, and you've just stumbled upon it, what we're doing is we're discussing a year of professional wrestling, and this year we are discussing 1997. It's not behind the scenes type stuff that's going on. It's just what you saw on your TV as you were watching it, and um, my brother Nate was along for the ride a lot of these years with me, and Mark's about the same age as us, so we're just basically looking back at things that we saw as kids and reminiscing about them and looking at them now with older eyes, if that makes sense. Was that too convoluted? To older, older, smarter eyes. Yes. Um, so what we're discussing is the year of 1997, and um, we're talking about WCW and WWF as their um, bloody knuckles scrapping it out. Um, it's not quite yet into the 83 weeks where WCW's beaten WWF. They're going back and forth. So this week we are discussing the the Monday Night Wars of April 28th, 1997. Um, but before we get into that, do you guys have anything you want to say at the top of the show? We actually are in the 83 weeks at this point. Are we? Yes, because uh, the first time Raw beats Nitro in the 83 weeks end, I believe, is in sometime in April of 98. So. All right. We are within that time frame. Yeah. They, they duked it out in 96, but pretty much most of 97, WCW was in the lead, which is crazy considering WWF had a better show. But anyway. Nate I, I just got one thing to say. Fuck McKenzie's Island. <laughs> I never said I never said that I was 100% going to review McKinsey Island. I said I was thinking about it. And then No, you I, said we were going to watch it and take notes. Your exact quote. And I tried. <laughs> and then I saw Hulk Hogan dance with a parrot named Deep Six and I said, "Fuck this." I'm not doing this with my day off. <laughs> I watched 10 minutes of that, and it was one of the worst 10 minutes I've ever spent in my entire life. If you would have made it through the whole thing, you would have felt exactly like I do about it. It was the most anticlimactic movie ever. The villain made no sense because she was a, she was a skinny black lady. Yeah, I don't know if that's politically correct, but she was about the size of a crackhead. And to me, it made no sense to have her as the villain because what threat does she pose to Hulk Hogan? 
<laughs> I mean, other than the fact that she has a little army following or whatever, I mean, it just, it was anticlimactic as hell. And that was the worst hour and a half of my life. <laughs> Hulk, Hulk Hogan, I hope they paid you fucking well to do that movie. <laughs> the minute I saw him on a jet ski, I was like, oh man, I bet Bruce Beefcake signed on to be his buddy. And he was like, oh, last time we did this. Bad idea. <laughs> like at the beginning, where you, where that dude's carving on that turtle, I should have knew it was gonna be some weird shit. Anyway, <laughs> I, I I made I, I made it ten minutes. So if you want to review it later, that's fine. But I can't. Oh no, I'm good. I couldn't do it. But let's talk about some good stuff that happened around this time. Um, we're going to start with Raw, which is in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, do you guys know who the most famous wrestler to be born in Omaha, Nebraska is? I'm assuming you do because you, this is your question. So, um, No idea. Maybe... I'm just going to take a fucking guess. Uh, not the death. Who'd you say? Not the death? Nope. Ted DiBiase. Ted DiBiase was born in Omaha, Nebraska, and Sting is from Nebraska as well. But anyway. those. those I was going to say Lou says, so I was way off. I think he was born <laughs> fucking Poland. I don't fucking know. But um, we get Raw starting. Uh, there's a recap, a long recap of the Bret Hart, Steve Austin situation from last week. They're even documenting the times, like 8.36. Steve Austin calls out Bret Hart. And, 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 and when I say the long, I don't mean like it was bad. I just, they were showing you like, time stamps trying to reiterate that if you're going to want to watch if you missed Raw from last week shit's popping off right away. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well you know they played that same shit on that Titantron. Just like Nate said at this point they were trying to incorporate that shit as much as they could. Yeah. Yeah. And this was a way to um, entice viewers to let them know, hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't not watch, you shouldn't change the channel because this thing happened in segments over the night. You know, it didn't all happen in one segment. So if you tune away, you might miss the next part of the story. Yeah, and so so they recap the Bret Hart Steve Austin saga from last week, and then there's the Raw opener with the pyro, and I fucking love that shit. And then Vince McMahon welcomes everyone to WWF Raw. And the first person they open with is Brian Pillman coming out. Um, Brian Pillman says that he's not crazy, but he's sensitive and religious. And he's been having emotional problems about last week and asks everyone to join him in prayer. He's fucking fantastic here. He's just like, I, I'm not. I'm not crazy. You guys think I'm crazy? I'm not. I'm very religious. I'm very sensitive. Last week's 
situation damaged me, and now I want us to all kneel and pray for the recovery of Bret Hart. (laughs) And then he also says that we all want the speedy recovery of Bret Hart, but we also want to pray um, for the bloodthirsty American fans and also the fans of Steve Austin. And not, not only is he praying for Steve Austin, but he's also praying for the destruction of Steve Austin. And the annihilation. Don't forget that. He said the annihilation and destruction of Stone Cold Steve, Steve, Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's fucking Brian Pillman at his fucking best. Right. A great promo. Like, not just this one, but like, he had that way of getting to the psyche of and of shit and like trying to curve you into a certain direction to feel a certain way by what he was saying. And as Pillman is praying, Steve Austin appears on the um, Titantron and he gets a big reaction from it and says that um, he's not got, he, he Austin says for the first time in my life, I don't have a lot to say. And basically I just want to beat your ass. And then he comes out to a huge reaction. And as he's coming out, Owen and Bulldog are laying in wait and um, attack Austin and Austin, Austin is doing great here, and they're doing great with the Austin character because he's not full babyface Austin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. Like, situation, babyface Austin wouldn't have, wouldn't have powdered, but as soon as Bulldog and Owen show up and get a little bit of hands on him, he he he, he powders out and he runs away. And um, I, I just think it's good shit because later on, like after he wins the belt or whatever, Steve Austin would have never ran away. He would have just been like, I'm going to fight him if they're going to kick my ass. But he's still kind of a chicken shit, but not a chicken shit. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So once Owen and Bulldog show up, he's like, ah, nah, 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 I got to get out of this. And he runs away. And um, so he gets away, and they're setting up basically that throughout the show, the Hart Foundation is attempting to figure out ways to set up Steve to beat him up. And then after Austin runs away, um, Pillman gets um, Owen and Bulldog to kneel and pray in a praise in a, in a prayer circle with him about the speedy recovery of their beloved leader Brett and the annihilation and downfall of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the the question I put in here and and you guys might tell me I'm wrong and I didn't put my answer but is this 97, like, Heart Foundation 
the GOAT faction of all time? For me, it is. Um, just, I mean, it is. It's my favorite. I don't, you know, other people can dispute and will have their reasons. But for me, if I'm saying, if, if I'm saying I'm watching wrestling to be entertained and what faction entertained me the most, yeah, I do love the Four Horsemen. But the 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 Heart Foundation is is my personal favorite faction. Yes, I think I I agree. I think they're the fucking best. And part of it is the fact that everybody was perfect to their fucking role. But the other thing is like they were entertained by each other. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, like like you were saying, like the Horsemen. The horsemen were great, but the horsemen were trying to outperform each other. Like, if Tully and Arn went out there and had the best fucking match on the card, Flair was like, oh, I'm going to go outperform them. And that, and that's a great attribute to have. But that, that, heart, that heart foundation was all of these guys knew their exact role, what they needed to do, and had no... Um, I want to get over this guy. You know what I mean? Now, I'm just like, at, at this point in time that we're talking about, it's like, for lack of a better reference, it's like Bret Hart's the Jim Jones, and he's making the Kool-Aid, <laughs> and, and they're all just taking it in. And it was good shit. So then um, the next thing we see is Steve Austin roaming the backstage area and he goes into like a um, look like a fucking I don't know, electrical Power room. room. Right. Like an electrical room. And for some reason in the elect <laughs> it's wrestling, but for in for some reason in the electrical in the electrical room is an axe. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> like like I'm not a I'm not a handyman guru, but I, I do know some stuff. But I know if I walk into an electrical room, my first thought isn't if I'm gonna go in here, the tool I need is an axe. <laughs> like it to me they could have made that a little better, like, you know, maybe you know, the old school uh in case of emergency, break the glass, grab the fire yeah. axe. I mean, it, that would have made more sense than uh, we're going to go into the electrical room where it looks like hit the switch, Eeyore. <laughs> Igor. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that was that was wild to me. Like, out of all the places you put, you put it in the electrical room, it wouldn't even be in a maintenance closet or nothing like that. You know what I'm saying? It's in the damn electrical room. Yeah, there's like fuses and shit. But Steve finds an axe, and he knocks the actual axe off of it, and now he has an axe handle, and then he runs back out, and as Owen and Davey and Pillman are praying, he runs them off with his axe handle. So that happened. And then after that, they go to commercial, and we come back. Oh. This is... Go ahead. You got, you got, you got to say what Austin told him. He's like, you better give your souls to the Lord because their ass is his. Yeah, and that was uh, epic. <laughs> this is like I was telling Nate previously. It's weird hearing 
Steve Austin's glass break and not just like massive reaction, but it's still right now. Mm-hmm. Like this is, in my opinion, has to be the time where Vince McMahon's like, this dude's getting fucking reactions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, to me, it was wild how you know they tried to jump him right there, and then he goes backstage. They're all out there at the first forever, and then he comes back. The music hits, and he's on his way with the axe handle. It's like, damn, that was you know it wasn't even you know a little further down the road that he tries to you know jump them or something. You know what I'm saying? It was like, damn, damn. They yeah. gave you that back to back. Yeah, so so I, I really feel this is like when the crowd starts really getting behind. I, I'm going to talk about that, it a little bit. But the crowd really is starting to like build towards him. And this is when Vince is starting to realize that, that JR knew what he was fucking talking about. This guy's this guy's the fucking shit. And we need to put a rocket on him. Over the next six months, we're going to watch him heat up. Um, and and I know it's going to sound silly, and, and we won't we won't get in the weeds about it too much. But as far as fan support and as far as him getting over, that neck injury is one of the best things that ever happened to him because all the things that happened during that injury and then when he came back from it made him look even more like a badass and made the people get behind him even more. Um, and like I said, I don't I don't I'm not saying good. Good thing he got a neck injury. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, like, as far as the, the development of his character, that neck injury was was actually a positive. And, and, and it's even later than that, like when he was doing his shit with Kurt. Like Steve is a fucking anomaly, man. That dude was more over in his career when he was hurt throughout it than when he was actually fucking working. Mm-hmm. It's fucking nuts. Um. But like I was saying, like he ran them off with the axe handle, and it went to commercial, and then they come back, and um, the ongoing thing is now Brian Pillman is praying again, and we see him, and he's praying for the safe arrival of Bret Hart, um, because Bret's driving to the arena, and he wants... Brett to have a safe arrival and Owen have a good match later because Owen's fighting Rocky Maivea later for the Intercontinental title. And then we get our first match and it's uh, Flash Funk <laughs> versus Rockabilly with the Honky Tonk Man in his corner. Um, you guys have anything to say about either one of those guys? Not that I haven't already said. <laughs> I got something, and you're probably gonna find this a little hysterical. My my note on this was it was basically Black Dynamite in a knockoff Flash Gordon costume versus Kevin Bacon in Footloose, only way less cool. <laughs> <laughs> I am a fan of both of these guys. Um, Billy Gunn is a, I've said this a lot, that if you tell somebody that doesn't know anything about wrestling to draw a professional wrestler, 
they're probably going to draw like Billy Gunn. You know what I mean? Like, not maybe not at this point because like he dyes hair, but a blonde built like a shit brick house professional wrestler. And then Flash Funk, Two Cold Scorpio, who is one of the top 20 greatest fucking athletes to ever get into that fucking business. And the, the match is what it was. It is what it was. Um, during the match, they show Bret Hart arriving to the building in an ambulance. And um, Rockabilly ends up bumping into Honky Tonk Man, allowing Flash Funk to hit him with a Funkensteiner. And Flash Funk wins the match. And then post-match, Rockabilly smashes Flash Funk with the guitar. Powderfield guitar. It's like, he gets whacked with it and it's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like a Jake the Snake type guitar or anything like that. It was, it, was a gimmick, it was a gimmicked guitar, but I mean, it was what it was. And at least we didn't have to watch fucking... Rockabilly fight fucking Jesse James again. It was what it was. And it, it, and it's like we said last week, this Rockabilly honky talk man thing might have been all right in like 95, but it's way, I, it, it's way past his prime. Yeah, I, I, I felt like almost that it was a piss poor attempt. For like the second coming of Honky Tonk Man, only you know, the yeah, uh, passing of the torch type deal. But I mean, it was a it was poorly executed. Yeah, you got anything on this? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said, nothing I haven't already said about these two guys. And then we get Owen and Bulldog are shown rolling um, Brett Hart into the arena. Brett has obviously had knee surgery because of what Steve Austin did to him. Um, Vince McMahon informs everyone that Brett Hart needed knee surgery in Calgary, and the fans cheer. Um, Lawler points out that all the fans cheered, and that shows that... um, Everything Brett's saying about the American crowd is true. And Bret Hart says that he appreciates Pillman and all his prayers, but there isn't enough prayer to fix Steve Austin and the American fans. And Austin, he says Austin's a hyena. And I know Nate makes fun of me about the way I say it. I think I figured out the way to say it. I've I've always mispronounced the fucking hyenas or whatever. But he says that Austin's a hyena and all the American fans are hyenas. And so they're basically just a big pack of dirty fucking dogs that eat off of the prey of bigger um, how do I want to say it 
Like, like he's basically saying like a hyena is the thing that eats after a bigger animal attacks a smaller animal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and Brett, Brett yeah. Hart, and Brett, and this is another another instance of an injury being able to add something. Bret Hart in the wheelchair is amazing. On top he, of the stage, walking, he's it, it's like it's like it's like his it's like his throne, and he's sitting there smugly on his throne while his minions do the work, and it it just it adds so much to it. Like like one of the one of the best visuals to me in wrestling history is the Heart Foundation music hitting, the pink light show going on. And Jim Neidhart, he was always the toady. Jim Neidhart is usually the guy rolling Brett out onto the stage. I know at this point, I don't think he's back yet at this point. He, he will be in a little bit. But, um, um, or Davy Boy. Or who, anyway, somebody rolling Brett out onto the stage while he's surrounded by the Hart Foundation, knowing he's safe because his thugs are with him, and he's on his wheelchair throne looking smug as hell. It's great heel shit. Yeah. Because an arrogant, hellacious heel promo. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, Nate, because I was actually going to put it because we're not going to foreshadow, but he's gonna, he's going to show up later. I thought about it when I saw it, but I don't look at Nightheart as a toady. No, I just meant in this in this in this story, and not 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 in general. No, like I, in real life. Right, or in the rest of their career. I'm just talking about in this story itself. Right, because he's, he's like Brett. I thought about it, I'm like, oh, I know Nate and I really hate talking about, like, toadies in wrestling. Like, like Knobs is Hogan's toady and da-da-da-da-da. No, Nightheart was Brett's buddy. Yeah, that that was that he was wasn't his toady. friend. That was yeah. his best fucking friend. Like, that, anyway, um... Like I said, Brett says that he appreciates Pillman's prayers, but it, it, it's not going to matter. And then he says the ambulance that he showed up in should stay. Like he doesn't want the ambulance to leave because um, hopefully tonight they're going to put um, Austin or possibly even HBK because they went into HBK pop in there. Um, could possibly have to leave inside of it. Um, Shawn Michaels, spoiler alert, is nowhere on this show, but they just wanted to mention him so fucking people don't forget about him. Um, you guys have anything else about that segment? Nope. Alright, and then we get a video of an old widowed man pretending well, okay. Well, the the, the commercial is <laughs> that commercial is fucking great, by the way. Oh, there's two great commercials. This one was fun. It's a fan. It's a it's a mom and a dad, and they're talking about the um, mom's dad who is now widowed and he's been depressed, but now he's watching WWF programming. And he is now mimicking Vader and mankind. <laughs> and then he becomes mankind. And then he tries to put the mandible claw 
on a baby. <laughs> and they're like, no, Grandpa, not the baby. And he's like, wah, 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 wah. And <laughs> How he, fucking day was that? Was it was fucking <laughs> awesome. Yes, it was. So that commercial happened and it was insane and it was super funny and if you guys don't watch anything else on that if you guys if the five of you that are listening (laughs) um, watch anything else on this fucking show watch these commercials we're going to talk about so the next thing we get is the Legion of Doom versus Doug Furness and Philip Lafon. But before they went to that break, they uh they put an announcement out of LOD gonna be in action and then mentioned some kayfabe neck injury to Henry Godwin via Oh no, that wasn't a kayfabe neck injury. They it fucked, wasn't? No, they fucked Mark Kittenberry up. They were like, he landed straight on his head. But, I mean, to me, it just looked like he took the ball. Like, I didn't see him land on his head. He got fucked up. Like, and and that's even in my notes, that um, the Legion of Doom-Godwin feud, um, because they had a kind of, like, pause it here for a minute because fucking Mark got hurt. Um, If you look at it from not wrestling eyes, LODs the heels in that fucking situation. Yeah. Like, the guy was like, oh, sorry, we accidentally slapped you. We apologize. (laughs) Like, oops. And then... The LOD was just like, okay, well, yeah, now we're going to beat you up because you accidentally slapped us, and then we're going to break your fucking buddy's neck and just shit all over you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, LOD's like, not the baby face in this situation. Not in this situation. Um... But LOD now can't feud with the Godwins because they fucked up Henry Godwin. So now they're going to roll into this little mini feud with um, Doug Furness and Philip LaFon. And LOD comes out. Then we get a little corner promo with LaFon and Furness. And um, they kind of shit on the fans talking about how they're really good workers and wrestlers. And the American fans don't respect them or accept them. And I honestly think that at some point, and I don't know why it didn't work out, I think they were thinking about rolling Furnish and LaFon into being with Heart Foundation. but They, they were. They were. Um, I think the main reason it didn't work out was because LaFon had that accident. He was in the car accident, 
And and I just think at that point, after the accident, he wasn't, what do you want to say? Um, he wasn't the same after that, and their team wasn't the same after that, so they kind of scrapped the idea, I think. Is it just me or during this promo? Did anybody else get vibes of, like, almost a Rick Martell? It gave me the. It gave me that vibe. I can see that. Yeah, I mean they're. I think they're both French Canadian. Kind of arrogant. But, but, um, and I get. I, I can see that too. And this was like. It's like if they would have done, kind of the shitty. Um, heel promo right when they came in. I think Lost Fine and Furnace might have had a better, better career. You know what I mean? Like they brought them in as baby faces, but it's like they're bland as fucking baby faces. Give them a fucking character. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think they would have been better. Um, so this match goes on. And LOD goes to give LaFon the doomsday device, but Furnace drop kicks him and he drop kicks um, um, Animal in the back and Hawk can still hit the clothesline and LOD still ends up winning. And then post-match um LaFon and Furnace demand a rematch after the match saying that they would have defeated the LOD if it would have been for a shitty referee and all that shit. Basically what they're doing is trying to um, recover their fumble of fucking Mark Kattenberry getting hurt and they're moving LOD into feuding with Furnace and LaFon because we don't know when fucking Hank's going to get back. Right. Anything else on that? Nope. All right. And then we go into I don't understand why they even put this on fucking Raw. It's a weird recap of a segment with Sunny under the covers. And she wasn't even wearing anything explicit. Like I said, like, oh, Sunny under the covers. All right. Maybe we'll see her in a bikini or something, but she's still she's wearing pants. Like, what the fuck is going on? And it's from like Shotgun Saturday Night, and the headbangers end up coming out, and they're eating fucking popcorn, and they try to like gangbang Sonny, and she's like, I, I didn't want anything to do with you guys. <laughs> it was a dumb segment. Flattered, but pissed on a plate. Yeah, but it was 97 sunny, so I got to look at her at least. I was just like, eh, whatever. And then they attempt, and I say attempt, they attempted to interview Ahmed Johnson <laughs> about his upcoming six-man match with the Nation of Domination. 
and um, he he's speaking, and nobody's really like asking. No, him that was gibberish. That was not English that he spoke. All I understood was <laughs> He says, "Jam a mammy, maybe, maybe," and then he kicks a trash can. And then he says he's going to go crazy. And then he says, you know, I was a gang member, right? <laughs> and then Vince McMahon goes, all right, let's get the camera off of that. <laughs> like, it's the most um, obvious, live-produced Vince McMahon Rolls war guy, like you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like he was just like, "All right, shut done. that shit down, shut that shit down, we're done." Like whatever this was, fucking, yeah. that was bad. Um, so Ahmed is basically a gang member. I don't know if he's folk. I don't know if he's blood. I don't know if he's crip. I don't know because all his his. He's wearing all of the colors. So I don't know what he is. But Ahmed's in a gang. And then he goes, that's what he says. I'm in a gang. You remember that, right? And then yeah. like, alright, let's get away from that. It's fucking dumb. <laughs> Even at this stage, that was unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly just because what the fuck? <laughs> This incoherent pumpkin head is fucking yelling his shit. Like I say, I don't know fucking what's going on. <laughs> that guy made money. It's fucking crazy. Like that guy made fucking money in the wrestling business. I don't understand it. So fucking Pumpkinhead Om Johnson said all his shit and said he is in a gang. And then we roll into um Rocky Maivea defending the Intercontinental Championship against Owen Hart. And Owen Hart comes out and he says that tonight he's going to win his champion. He, he's going to win this match and he's going to win the Intercontinental Championship and he is going to dedicate this match to his uh great and honorable brother Brett. And it is fucking Owen Hart and his most fantastic. Like annoying little brother idolizing the big brother just makes you want to slap years, out of him. For like four years he's just been like Brett Hart's the biggest piece of shit ever. My brother is always kept me down. I hate him. Everything about him is bad. But right now, like now, he's just like, oh, I love him. He's the best. He's the greatest thing ever. Like, Owen's character was so fantastic. And Fun fact about uh, Rocky winning that belt, though, he actually won that belt on my seventh birthday. That's a uh, that's that's a nice fun fact. It is. 
Like I said, I, I, I just love the fact that for like four years, Owen was just like, my brother's the worst fucking thing ever. And then within three weeks, he's like, I'm going to win this belt for my great brother. <laughs> and Owen and Rocky proceed to have a very long match for TV. And I'm not knocking it because he's gone on to have better. But at this point, this match was the best match that Rocky might have ever had in his career. Mm-hmm. Even though there was a botch. He botched when he uh, when he did the move that would later become known as the rock bottom. Uh, I don't know if you caught that. Uragani? Uh, yeah, what, what uranage, whatever it's called. <laughs> <laughs> but but this is the this is honestly the best match. Like like I said, that fucking Rock had his career so far, and it shouldn't be any um, shock that it's because he was with Owen. Um, and then Owen ends up actually winning the match with a roll-up, one, two, three, and we got a new Intercontinental Champion, Owen Hart. Owen fulfilled his um, promise, or whatever, his promise, and he runs up the ramp and hands the belt to Brett, and it's like, if you don't have a brother, you wouldn't understand it. But <laughs> as as Owen is running to Brett, it isn't Brett Hart, like, being a performer and selling it. As Owen is running to proud brother Owen, moment. He is he is smiling and laughing his fucking ass off <laughs> as Owen is running to him. Because Brett, has, he has a legit fucking smile on his face. Look at this crazy little fucker. Right, <laughs> like, for the story's sake, though, it wouldn't have made sense for him to dedicate the match to Brett and then lose. I mean, <laughs> that just would have been like, <laughs> what the hell? What a miss. That would have been funnier. But, like, when they, like, what I'm saying is, like, Owen won. And Owen wasn't being like, how do I say it? Like, Brett wasn't looking at Owen as being the Owen character. He was just like, yeah, this is my brother Owen. And Owen's just like running at him like, I got that belt, Brett. I got that belt, Brett. And, like, throws it at him. He's like, there you go. And fucking Brett is legitimately smiling and kind of like, Chuckling his ass off at how fucking goofy Owen was. And um, he throws the belt at Brett, and then Davy's up there, and Davy's laughing his ass off at Owen about how fucking heavy he's throwing it on. And they just start spinning Brett in his wheelchair. Like, like Brett can't do anything about it, you know? Like, even legitimately, Bret Hart can't do anything about it. And just spinning him, and spinning him, 
and then they spin him again. And Davy's like, "How do you like your your victory lap, Brett?" And then he just spins him again, and then spins him again. It's just like, to me, I think honestly they were like fucking with Brett on national TV. I wonder if they knew that Vince McMahon had said something about a victory lap like six times before they said that. <laughs> because that's that's what he said. He's taking a victory lap. He's taking a victory lap. <laughs> Man, Davey just kept spinning Brett. He's like, oh, the victory lap. Brett just kept spinning. Like, I just, it, it like, Rock. You could tell they were having fun with it. That's oh, yeah. Heard. And Rock didn't look bad in his defeat. It got another belt into the Heart Foundation. And everything about this was just really good, in my opinion. Um, then the next thing we see is Steve Austin in an empty hallway um, rolling himself down the empty hallway on a wheelchair um, with the axe handle on his lap. And Jerry Lars like, what the hell? <laughs> When I saw it, that was my reaction. What the hell? He's done commandeered a fucking wheelchair. <laughs> so, the character of Steve Austin has been like, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at my wit's end here. And now he's rolling around in a wheelchair. And then we come back with Matt and Vince McMahon introduces Steve Austin, who comes through the crowd carrying said wheelchair and the axe handle and Steve Austin challenges Bret Hart to a wheelchair match and he says you got my word Steve or Bret Hart if you roll your ass down here right now I will not get it on my wheelchair and kick your ass we will go wheel to wheel and then he goes uh uh never mind I'm a liar if you come down here right now, I will stand up and beat your ass. And then um, proceeds to say that um, nothing can stop him from beating the Undertaker. So now he's talking about Undertaker because he's fighting Undertaker at fucking Cold Day in Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and says that no wheelchair or 50 heart family members can stop him from becoming the WWF champion. And then Bret Hart quickly appears from the Titan Tron and threatens him and says that he's going to put him in the ambulance tonight. It, this segment was all right, but it seemed kind of, I don't know. Wheel spin. You you could tell that they were just like they're keeping it going. Like that's that's what they want fresh on your mind right there is it's Austin and Brett, Austin and Brett. And then, you know, the Heart Foundation included, but I mean that they, they were really pushing that as this is the big story. Okay. And then we find out that Big Van Vader is back from Kuwait and he's going to be facing Ken Shamrock. That cold day in hell in a no holds barred match, and then they recap um, 
Shamrock challenging Tyson, which nothing comes out of that ever, so we don't need to talk about that. And then we get a Ken Shamrock hype video of him, like, he he uses the word challenge like 47 fucking times. <laughs> my biggest challenge, my challenge, my challenge. And then Pettengill's like, oh, Shamrock is challenged. It's like, we all know he's challenged. Listen to him speak. <laughs> we all know that. It's the only fucking word he knows. Yeah. He knows challenge and biscuits. <laughs> it was legit. Like, with Shamrock at this stage, it was the most generic ass dry promo that you could put out there. Yeah, so, so, this wasn't good, in my opinion. And then we get Double J coming out saying his song, Nobody Cares, and he's fighting Vader. Vader ends up beating Jesse James and nobody cares about with a Vader bomb. And then Jim Ross um, interviews Vader. And this is Vince McMahon and Jim Ross um, basically putting how they feel Vader handled himself on national TV in Kuwait. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, because... Do you have any remorse? Well, like, because even when Vader's coming out, and I know I kind of skipped over the match, Vince McMahon's like, ah, Vader, he he, he, um, he embarrassed the entire company and his family. And I feel like this is everything that Vince and Jim Ross told Vader in real life. Yeah. And they just fucking bury him on fucking TV. But then they try to they try to give it back to him. And Jim Ross interviews Vader and he wants to know if Vader has any remorse for what he did and that like he disrespected the company and embarrassed his family. And Vader says that he has no res- no remorse. And then he calls the fans something that I think is funny. Spoonheads. Spoonheads. <laughs> he says, I have, he has, he goes, I have no remorse for what I did to this company or all these spoonhead fans. <laughs> I was watching it, and my wife's like, "Did he? Do, what did he just say? Boo heads?" I was like, "No, he said spoon heads." He said these spoonhead fans. Sounds like a, a Larry Zabisco insult. Yeah, spudheads. But what is a spoonhead? <laughs> Only Vader knows, and he's dead now, so he can't tell us. But I feel it's really insulting. Whatever a spoonhead is. I guess somebody called you that. You'd want to whoop their ass. Excuse me? What'd you <laughs> Are you saying I have a thin body and a fat head? Like, like, what? I don't know. But Vader calls the fans a bunch of spoonheads and um, then goes to attack Jim Ross. And Jim Ross is like, no, no, I want to get out of here. And then uh, Shamrock saves Ross from a beating. And runs Vader off. So that's that segment. Um, 
So unless you guys have anything to say about that, we'll ble- we'll breeze through that. Uh, the after the after part of it, where Shamrock grabs the mic and tells them, when they get in the ring, it's not going to be bad time. It's going to be hard time. <laughs> yeah. Like okay, <laughs> try to rip off Dusty. He just didn't sound as good doing it. Thanks, Shamrock. Yeah, this whole thing was bad. Um, the next thing is... You were like, you skipped over the match, but literally the conversation we had surrounding the whole situation was longer than the fucking match. I knew it was going to be a squash when they announced the participants. <laughs> the next thing is uh, Gold Dust versus Triple H. It's the um, typical... Um, Triple H Goldust match. Um, they bring up Ellen coming out, which I thought happened in '94, not '97, but whatever. Um, then, um, did you notice though when they were when they were talking about those shows, what it was called, Sunday Night Heat, <laughs> which later became their Sunday Night Show? Yeah. And it was just bad. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's a typical um, Gold Dust Triple H match until Marlena shows up, who Gold Dust said to stay in the back, and she ends up tossing like a big bag of co- cocaine into fucking China's face. And I'm like, oh, there, there it was. There's and, where it started. Yeah, people try to be like, what happened with? With Joni, where was her downfall? Well, it was apparently when fucking Terry threw a big bag of cocaine in Joni's face on April fucking 28th, 1997. That's when she was like, all right, I kind of like that. <laughs> and then she'd be dead like seven years later. Um, and then... Joni is, um, she's crazed with the cocaine. She doesn't know what to do. And she thinks she's choking gold dust, but she's actually coking, choking um, Hunter. And Hunter ends up losing via countout. I want gold dust and Triple H to fucking end. Uh, Every time you say gold dust and Triple H, I see Nate wince a little bit. He's like, they're out. It's, just, it's, it's it's one of the biz, biggest examples of two wrestlers that individually I'm a big fan of, but I can't stand them together. I don't know what it is. I just I love Dustin and I love Hunter, but I cannot stand to watch them work together. I want it to fucking end. And then Undertaker cuts a promo um, on the Titan Tron about mankind. Mankind's now suspended because he bought a he brought a blowtorch to the ring. Last week, thank you, Russo. <laughs> and then he gets a promo about. He continues talking about Steve, and then we get a another uh, little vignette of Pillman praying. And I don't want to like smash this showdown because it, it's just kind of ending quickly. So if you guys have anything you got to say, you can say it. And then we get um, my favorite. Um, WWF commercial is this boy Nicholas and his parents are upset because Nicholas is kind of becoming a brat 
And he used to be a straight A student. He used to be a straight A student. And then Nicholas is sitting at the table and he's bald now. And he goes, Broccoli? 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 Cal- cauliflower? You treat me like a dog and expect me to smile? This little boy. He's like, Broccoli? Cauliflower? You treat me like a dog and expect me to smile? And then you go to the dad and he goes, I don't know what's wrong with him. He keeps mumbling something about whoop ass. <laughs> and then Nicholas shows up at the fucking side of the couch and he yells at his parents and he goes, you both are completely <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> and then it's like, da, 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 da. And this kid just like flips his parents off. Yeah, it's good stuff. It's fantastic. <laughs> but do you know that was probably a reality during this time frame? <laughs> like, legit. A lot of parents probably had a problem if their kids were watching wrestling. I love when he goes, you both are completely pathetic. But I love when that little kid was like, broccoli? Cauliflower? You treat me like a dog and expect me to smile. What well, didn't he say something too like he wasn't gonna clean his room and that's the bottom line because he said yeah, I ain't gonna oh. clean my room because that's the bottom line. But that fucking you treat me like a dog and expect me to smile. They had that fucking kid say that and it was so goddamn funny. Oh, it was fantastic. The commercials are not what they used to be. <laughs> So after that fantastic thing happens, uh, we're going to get our main event. And it's um, and after I talk about this, I got I to take a leak. Then we'll talk about Nitro, which won't take long, Nate, I promise. Okay. Um, it's the British Bulldog versus the Undertaker. Um, Bulldog botches his promo because all night they've been talking about how it's Champion versus champion, but neither title is on the line. Bulldog comes out and says he's going to dedicate this match to Brett and says that tonight I'm going to beat The Undertaker and I am going to become the world heavyweight champion. And Bulldog saying that he's going to become the world heavyweight champion makes no sense. But the fucking title's not on the line. For the last two hours, they've been saying the title's not on the line. So, it is what it is. Um, the match is, is what it was. It was kind of like a, it was a lumbering match. My uh, favorite part is right there at the beginning when the Undertaker's gong hits and the expression on Owen Hart's face. He sells the fuck out of it. He's like, <laughs> it's just fucking epic. I don't have Yoko right. now. I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, <laughs> it, it's good shit. Um, Bulldog actually takes like a hell of a fucking choke slam. That was the thing that I like. Like Davy, Davy was a genetic freak. Don't get me like like. I know he wasn't at this point built like fucking like a John Cena or whatever. But that dude was built like a fucking shit brick house. And he took that 
like he took. If you go back and watch it, he took the best choke slam I've ever seen anybody ever fucking take. Yeah, like like he didn't he didn't put his elbows up or anything. he just fucking took it complete flat black flat black um flat back just boom and like when I, I was like god damn he took a hell of a chuck fucking choke slam and then when he hit that that brought in Owen and then Austin came out and it at first like they were talking about how like is Austin helping the Undertaker? It's like no he's not helping the Undertaker He's out there because he hates Owen and Bulldog and the hearts and all that shit. And he ends up picking up the belt, holding it up. And this is what I was talking about with with Austin, that he's he, he's starting to get around the people liking him, but they don't like him as much as The Undertaker. Because when he's holding up that belt and kind of fucking off The Undertaker, they're booing him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So... Um, I got a problem with what happened there, though. Like, when he throws that belt on the ground, you remember not too long ago they made that stink about uh, Charlotte Flair dropping the belt. Now, this day and age, that that was a problem. Back then, nobody gave a fuck. It was Steve Austin. What were they going to say? Yeah. You get what I'm saying, though? It's Mm -hmm. like, nowadays, that's the a wrong move. Yeah, and it, it's like whatever, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and, and also, modern wrestling fans just like to have some. If they don't have, if they don't get up in the morning and have something to bitch about, they have to spend the rest of their day searching for it. But anyway, that's beside the point. So Austin ends up holding up the belt, turns around, confronts Undertaker eye to eye, stuns the Undertaker. Um. And then the Undertaker ends up popping back up. And this is where I was talking about Steve still kind of a heel because he's like, no, no, no. Like, like he's, he's, he's him and Han from the choke. Austin or Austin gets choke slammed and he rolls out, but he's not completely dead. He's like, rolls out. He's like, I've been choke slammed. But then he realizes, and this is cool. Because he realizes Brett is unprotected on the ramp, and at the same st- at the same time that Steve realizes that he's unprotected on the ramp, Brett realizes that he's unprotected on the ramp. Like they have this moment where they're like, "Oh, like Austin's like hell yeah," and uh, and Brett's like, "Oh shit!" So he goes to attack Brett. But um, waiting in the shadows is Nate. I want to spoil it. It's Jim Neidhart. And Brett ends up hitting Steve Austin with a crutch, knocking um, Austin off of the ramp. And Austin ends up getting taken out by EMTs and getting loaded into an ambulance, just like Brett said would happen. And the last thing you see on the show is Brian Pillman laughing maniacally because all of his prayers have been answered. Bret Hart was saved, and Steve Austin got taken out in an ambulance. 
Yeah, at first he's all serious, and then he does that maniacal smile. It's good shit. This role is fantastic. I don't know if I did it justice with my babbling, but I think this is a really good fucking show. All right. So, um, I think we can all agree that um, WWF Raw is War was entertaining. And like I said, I don't know if my synopsis of it um, gave it justice, but I really enjoyed that show. The next thing we're going to roll into is the last thing we're going to roll into. It is the WCW Nitro from April 28th, 1997. Um, They're in in Norfolk, Virginia in the Scope, which is a um, total WCW arena. And a cool-looking arena. It's a cool-looking arena. And and when I say WCW, a totally WCW arena, I'm not knocking it. I'm saying that's like the spectrum of WCW. You know what I mean? Yeah. And one, one quick thought before you get into the show, you made me think of it. Um, it's not just, it's not just wrestling and like movies. It's everything now that has gotten generic. Like back in the day, you could look at a wrestling show or a basketball game or something, and you could tell what arena they were in because they had unique looks. Now they all look the same. Yeah. Right. But anyway, that's just an observation. And so, so that's kind of similar to what I was just saying. Like, to me, the like WCW um, Madison Square Garden would have been like the Omni. Or the um, fucking Georgia Dome, you know. But then their their spectrum was the the scope, mm-hmm. and that's where they're at this week. Um, the show opens with footage of Ric Flair versus Vader from the nineteen ninety three Starcade, which is one of the greatest fucking stories ever told in wrestling, in my opinion, and. Basically, the reason they're showing this is Tony Schiavone is um, speaking over it, saying that Ric Flair can beat a big man any day of the week, so Kevin Nash, be ready for May 18th. And then Roddy Piper and Ric Flair come out, and um, they're dancing around. They're doing their thing. And then Flair, sorry, Piper talks about the um, um, road paved promo that Kevin Nash talked about last week about how Flair and Piper and guys like him or them um, left a road for them um, covered in potholes and Piper says that they're too lazy to apparently fill in those potholes and all they want to do is skateboard and collect their money. <laughs> and so basically what Piper said was you and Hall just want to skate through and just collect your guaranteed money. Yeah. Um, you guys got anything to say about that? The, I don't dynamic, that. the dynamic of Flair and Piper are together. I really enjoyed And they were guys that 
the reason it worked is because they were fucking best friends. Like, um, so the first the first match is Prince Iakea versus Dean Malenko for the United States Championship. Um, there's a corner interview with Jeff Jarrett, who basically challenges Dean Malenko to defend the United States Championship against him at Slambury on May 18th. Um, and then Dean Malenko defeats Prince Iakea with the Cloverleaf. It, it just was was what it was. It was just a match. It wasn't bad. It, it, it was great. No. Nah, it was fast-paced and athletic. And at one point, Malenko no-sells a fucking arm lock. He just straight no-sells it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> he just didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I thought it was a decent little match. And um, Bobby Heenan, who doesn't... Um, get enough um, time to like I don't want to say it Bobby got to make like a couple good points in the match you know like Bobby was usually comedy but he, uh, he, he, he makes a good point he's like IAK is going to get better wrestling guys like this I, I just thought that was a good um Observation from it because it, yeah. it's only an hour raw. It, raw. It's only an hour nitro. So the commentating team's fucking awesome. It's Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Larry Sabisco. Like fucking a. <laughs> um. So then the next match is Uventud Guerrera versus Six for the WCW NWO Cruiserweight Championship. Um, Ubi gets a couple big moves on six and a couple near falls. And um, the match ends up ending with six pot getting the buzz killer, which is basically Bob Backlund's um, cross face chicken, chicken, chicken wing on Ubi for the victory. Was what it was. Two great athletes having a good match. Yeah. yeah. And, and- my note on that match is that that match showcased why WCW had the best cruiserweight division of any company to date. That's just my opinion. And I thought it was cool that Sean Waltman went in and was like, I'm going to have a fucking submission finisher. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not going to be a high impact move. Like, uh, I'm a cruiserweight. I'm this or whatever, but I'm going to have a I'm gonna have a, if if my main adversary is gonna be Dean. I just thought right. it was kind of cool that he went with a fucking cross face instead of like a high impact move. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Then we get Lee Marshall's punk ass. He's talking about being in in Lakeland, Florida, and then he says some some derogatory shit about. Bobby Heenan and Bobby's just like whatever and then the outsiders come out um, with six and um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it but at the top of the show Piper and Flair had called out the outsiders to wrestle them tonight and Scott Hall 
uh, Kevin Nash and Six come out. And um, the one note I have is in 1997, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash were the coolest dudes in the room. Like, there was nobody that um, put off a cooler vibe than those guys. I thought it was crazy how when they when they came out, all the fucking commentators got up and bounced. They were like, "Fuck this, we're out." Except Zabisco, Zabisco wouldn't. But but like Tony and Bob, like Bob Bob was like Tony. If you got to turn around and say get away, you're gonna be talking to yourself because I'm already gone, buddy. Like I don't care about you. Um, but Nash and Hall come out and they say that. Um, they're totally down with um, fighting Flair and Piper tonight as long as they get 75% of the gate. <laughs> the, way they, the way they end that promo, though, is it, it's weird to me. Their final words is, Hollywood, we miss you. Too sweet. <laughs> Just because he's making McShissy's Island or whatever. <laughs> I'm not even going to give that another second. I'm just saying, that's what he's doing right now. He's making McShissy's Island. <laughs> like Hogan's like, day one, I had to hang out with Robert Evers or whatever his name is. But anyway, um, um, so they say that they'll fight they'll fight Piper and Flair tonight for seventy five percent of the gate and then they say like like Mark said, they said Hogan we miss you and too sweet and then um roll into the match that was supposed to happen before they came out and it is Chris Benoit with woman versus Steve Regal and obviously this is gonna be good. Like there's no way it's not gonna be um, one note I put in here was two years later, this is not the same match, but this is the match that got Regal back into the bigs. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> that's so, the Pillman Memorial. Holy shit. This guy can, he, he's better now, you know? Um, they're having their match. Um, Regal gets busted open hard way. Um, and he goes to put Benoit up on the top turnbuckle and, um, Kevin Sullivan comes out and it's awesome because he's going to suplex it. Like Regal's going to suplex Benoit and Sullivan, Jackie and Jimmy Hart come out and they put their hands on Regal, throw him down. Regal sees what it is. And then he just goes, all right. And he fucking leaves. And then um, Benoit and Regal end up, or Benoit and Sullivan end up brawling. And then Meng runs out, helps Sullivan by putting a Tonkin death grip on Benoit. And it's just a big thing. And they're setting up Benoit and Meng being in this this death match at Slambury. And um, I think the Chris Benoit Kevin Sullivan feud is one of the greatest things that's ever happened in the 
ever happened in the entire history of WCW. In the history of that company, definitely. I, I, I know, like, all the whatever with it, but just looking at it with these eyes, like 96, 97 eyes, it's fucking great. So, you guys get anything on that? No, it's actually, you just said what I was going to say, so. My only thing is, is I wish they would have pushed Ming a little more. Right, for years and years, even as, you know, it's just, he he was talented, he was a solid worker, and, I mean, it's not like he didn't pay his dues. Right. And then the next thing we get is uh, Randy Savage, NWO promo about DDP and Kimberly Page. And when I say NWO promo, I mean like the black. It wasn't in the arena. It was the the black and white paid for by the NWO type promo. And it was cool. Um and they're having to do that because Savage is hurt right now. And then we get... Um, the, the thing that stuck out the most to me about that whole promo. GDP, I am your master. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was Randy being crazy Randy. And it fucking worked. And it was... It was the most... Um, Heel Randy, like WWF heel Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, because he calls he calls uh, Dallas a wannabe and says that Kimberly's been watching him because she's figured out that her man is not a real man. And, and, and it's Randy, and they, this might make sense. Like, remember in WWF, Randy would almost cut promos at Elizabeth. Yeah. Right. Wanting her reaction. Yeah. Like, like, like oh, you, and then her, her being like, you're right, Randy, you're right. Right. He, he's almost doing that to her in this segment. Like, he's like, um, um, I didn't know DDP's name. Now I know it now, right, Liz? And she's like, yeah, Randy. And she, he's like, Kimberly, she's mocking you, like, like getting her to just like to agree with him, yeah, to, to, her to reaffirm his opinion, yeah, and, well, and that was. But Liz did a great job where before she was terrified of him, but in that's in this one, she's like, yeah, Randy, like, like she did a really fucking good job without saying fucking basically nothing. Like I, I didn't write a lot of notes about it, but this was a really good fucking interview segment, in my opinion. And what I understand, though, she didn't want to when she was she didn't want to come back to WCW and work with Randy. Though, money, money talks. Yeah, Um, break out that checkbook, baby. So the next thing we get is Lex Luger and the Giant versus the amazing French Canadians. There's obviously no notes on this. Um, Luger and Giant end up winning. Um, 
Luger gets um, Jacques up in the torture rack and Giant Choke slams um, PCO or P whatever. Anyway, Luger and Giant beat the fucking French Canadians. Who didn't yeah, think that he, he, he slammed them so hard he wanted to go back to a Mountie costume. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to be an athletic display just by the people involved. It served its purpose. That's what I wrote. Yeah, and it's like I told Nate, I don't, I don't hate Lex Luger and I don't hate the Giant, but them together is fucking boring. They're a boring team. Um, the next match is Steve Mongo Mc. I fucked his name up. Steve Mongo McMichael versus the Barbarian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got a you got an hour of television. This was your main event, um, and Barbarian had to put over Mongo as Mongo hit him with the briefcase, and this was basically a five minute match to talk about Slamboree's upcoming match between Mongo McMichael and Reggie White. It's going to be the Bears versus the Packers. And I'm not honestly looking forward to reviewing Slamboree, but I got to do it. I-, I fucked over McCliskey's Island, so I can't be like, I'm not going to watch Slamboree. <laughs> I have to watch it. It's the McCliskey's Island of, of wrestling, the Slamboree pay-per-view I got to watch. But Barbarian and Mongo... Nothing really happened. And every Mongo McMichael match ends the same way. Him hitting somebody with the Halliburton. And I went to say that. And you know what was funny? Deborah McMichael looked at the camera. And you know what she said? What? I don't know where we would be at without this briefcase. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> to me, the finish made sense, though, because really believing that Mongo's going to go over on a bad motherfucker like the Barbarian, he's going to have to cheat to win. And I agree, but it was so funny to me when Deborah was just like, I don't know where our career would be without this briefcase. I recently got a chance to beat the Barbarian uh, in person. Even at his age, that man is still wrestling, bro. Oh, I met Barbarian. It wasn't even like a wrestling thing. I was giving him money to talk to me, and I was terrified. <laughs> like, like legit, he was a giant among you. Like, he, he's a badass motherfucker. He's, he's right on the level with Meng and all that shit. Like, I, I'm six I met, foot three, and I had to look up to him. That that dude's a badass motherfucker, man. And he's, um, I don't want to say it. He's a badass enough human being to be like, okay, I'm gonna go in there and lose to Mongo McMichael. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to lose anything of my 
rep to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make? I don't know if that makes. I don't yeah, know total that, and a total pro, total pro. Yeah. Um. So, the last thing on the show is Piper and Flair come out. Um, they challenge Nash and Hall. Um, <laughs> there's a funny line. Nate, I know I went over a little bit of what I, a couple minutes over. It's all right. Um, they come out and, um, Flair says, I can't honestly say that I could honestly beat Hall and Nash, but I can say that I can beat six. And then he says, six, I've won more titles than you've had pieces of ass. <laughs> I loved it. That's a great that's line. What, that's what he said. And Shivani was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, he had the most, like, Okay, but that wasn't—I bet that wasn't approved. Like Midwestern, like nice dude, comment ever. He said, "Oh," <laughs> and then, that one in there. And then papers start falling, like the NWO hits NWO, and then papers fall from the sky, and the papers say. Tradition bites NWO for life, and then the NWO Nash Hall and Six finally come out. Flair runs after Six. They end up beating him up in the in the aisle. Flair gets the upper hand on him for on the NWO for a little bit, and Piper is standing there holding the. I don't know what this sec. I don't know what this fucking segment was, but Piper is standing there holding one of the flyers, looking at it, and Bobby Heenan, um, just can't not be Bobby Heenan, and says, uh, "Piper apparently doesn't know how to read." That's what he says about him, because Piper's standing there. Why Flair's getting beat down by the NWO and Flair is yelling, Piper, Piper, help me, Piper, help me. And Piper is just standing there with the flyer and it goes off the fucking air. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Well, Piper it, yeah, he, running down there. Yeah, and then you, all you see is him smack Nash and then it goes off. It's like he only got one of them. But Piper stood there for like three minutes. Right. Now Wait. when when Flair and Six were by you know interchanging by themselves, Flair was fucking molly whopping his ass. Yeah, like like Six and Flair were doing their shit and I I um totally feel that Flair was like cool with Sean Waltman. You know what I mean? Like what, right. what them, he, he might not like Scott Hall. Flair's gone on the record of not liking Scott Hall or Kevin Nash, but I thought it was funny love. when Nash goes to grab a hold to him and Flair kicks him right in the McNuggets. Yeah, 
<laughs> but it, it was just a weird way. I don't know if it's going to blend into whatever they're going to do next week, but it, it was a fucking weird way to end the show. Well, they got to keep up with the street fight shit that WWE's put, or WWF at the time was putting on. But we got to make this captivate also. I just thought it was it was a weird way to end Nitro. And um, full spoiler alert, Nitro the next three weeks is an hour show because of the fucking playoffs. But... Um, not even it being just an hour. I think Raw was the better show this week. And um, n- neither one of them were bad. Like, Nitro was still good. I just thought it was kind of a weird way to end it. And I thought Raw was the better one. And it's probably going to be that way, honestly, going forward the next three weeks. Because Nitro is not going to be pumping out their best shit because they're going up against the playoffs. Well, they uh, had 30 more minutes and had one more match. Literally, Raw had one more match than I threw in, in with 30 more minutes. So, unless you guys have anything you gotta comment on in the end of Nitro, we'll go into our outros. Raw was definitely the better show. And, I mean, to me, and and we're going to get into it as the weeks go on creatively, from this point forward, it is the better show. Uh, I mean, there's great Raws and great Nitros, but to me, each and every week as we go through the rest of this year, um, mainly Raw is going to be the better show creatively. Yeah. Maybe not, you know, every week not bell to bell. You know, Nitro has... WCW has a fantastic roster of wrestlers, but just as a overall product, uh, WWF's sitting on all cylinders here creatively. I, I would say I give Raw a B plus and Nitro a solid B. If it weren't for that ending, I could I could have forgave you know the Mongo and Barbarian shit. So I enjoyed um, talking to you guys about this and everybody listening. So um, just keep on listening to the show. Um, if you obviously are listening, I did start a um, side Facebook page for the year that was um, just something fun to do so if you guys are listening to this and you're not part of that please join it and if you're new listeners to this show listen to Mark Brew's Indie Spotlight listen to Nate Slice of Time and anything else that we have on the um, We Can't Wrestle podcast universe the universe yeah <laughs> Yes, any of the shows you listen to here on the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network or the We Can't Wrestle Podcast Universe. Um, slice of Time, this show, the year that was, Mark's Indie Spotlight, if you smell what the arch is cooking with our buddy Archie Mitchell. And of, course, <laughs> and of course... Oh, it's ham dogs. The, the ham, yeah, ham dogs. dogs. 
the We Can't Wrestle podcast, and of course, Reliving the Extreme. All of the shows that we have here on the network, everybody works very hard. I'm very proud of it, and I know these guys are too. And we appreciate your support. I'm be honest, I don't work very hard. I put in minimal effort. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Aaron, it's your show, so you can do the ultimate sign-off. If my ink runs out of my pen, I just fast-forward through the show. I'll be like, all right, I'll make it up. See if one of you guys pick up what I fuck up. <laughs> anyway, um, I appreciate everybody listening, and I appreciate you guys listening to me fucking ramble about these shows that I watched. And... Happy fucking 4th of July. It's already gone. Edit that out. Edit that out. Edit that out. What, I, what I'm trying to say is I just appreciate people listening. And anybody that is, thanks for living through this with us. Because if um, it wasn't for fucking Skype and streamer and all that shit. None of this would happen. So I appreciate people listening to it and just putting up with it. So thanks. 